to get right into it this morning. I want to share some stuff with you the Lord has laid on my heart. You know, it has always been God's main objective. It is in His heart to reveal Himself to us. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know who He is at His core, His nature, His goodness, His love, His compassion. And it has been His, his driving motivation from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Scripture and all the way down to today, to pull back and tear down every impediment that keeps us from understanding Him and to reveal Himself to us. He wants you to know who He is. And I would say uh, one of my favorite quotes, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the most important thing about any one of us is what we think of, what comes to mind when we think of God. Our understanding of God, who He is, is the most important thing about us because it will drive everything in our lives. It drives our, it drives our passions, it drives our, our motivations, it drives our values, it drives our moral compass. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And when we sit and think about God without a revelation coming from Him, here's the thing, God is so incredible and His ways are so far beyond our ways that if we don't have a divine revelation from God, we'll never really get it. Here's, here's, here's a spoiler alert about, alert about God. He's better and greater than anything that your mind can conjure up on its own. And it takes a divine revelation to really understand the greatness and majesty of God. The thing is, our image of God a lot of times is so distorted and twisted by so many things in our lives, that we bring that to God in this faulty way. We think we understand Him, but what we understand is a, is a distorted image that's been handed down to us from generation to generation. And Scripture makes it clear that there are certain things about God that are far greater than anything we can think or imagine. What we were taught about Him in our upbringing was probably incomplete. What we think God would, what we think we would be if we were God, sometimes distorts the image of who God is in our own lives, our limited understanding of what's possible when we think about God. But let's face it, the only way that we're ever going to have a chance to know God as He really is, is if He intervenes in our life in a miraculous way and shows Himself to us. And a lot of times that happens in our darkest, coldest moments. When God shows up and He says, you know, all those things you thought about me were wrong. Let me show you the full picture of who I really am. So here's the thing that I want to share with you this morning. Jesus came to the earth to reveal God to us in a very special way. And if you don't understand the context of history, you might miss it when you read the teachings of Jesus. You might miss just how revolutionary this was. See, in the Old Testament, God was revealed as the Creator. And then after the fall of man, God was revealed as as, as sort of a, a, a distant redeemer. He sat in heaven and tried to work things out to bring us back to himself. The prophets of old revealed God as a just God, a holy God, a righteous God who defends the fatherless and the weak and the poor. But it wasn't until Jesus came on the scene that we began to understand God through a brand new and a revolutionary lens. It's the lens of the Father. The lens of a Father. If, if you don't understand uh, Scripture and history, you might have thought that God has always been seen as a Father, but that's just not true. Matter of fact, when Jesus came on the scene and began to teach God as the Father, 
It was so revolutionary that it ultimately got him killed. That's what inflamed and infuriated the religious, the religious fanatics of the day. They were so angry that Jesus would stand and declare that I and the Father are one. And He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And He said, oh, and by the way, when you approach the Father yourself and you kneel before Him to pray, start it out like this. Our Father. It was so infuriating to the people of the day, they said, this man cannot be permitted to live. He needs to die because of the blasphemy that he could picture God in this fatherly way. And this was Jesus' desire, was that we could understand God through this lens. Prior to Jesus' appearance on the scene, the only way that God was considered a father was in the same way that George Washington is considered the father of our nation. He's like this distant father way back when that kind of started the whole thing, but he wasn't an approachable father figure. It was Jesus that said, no, no, watch this. I'm going, to, I'm going to interact with the Father and you emulate me. When I go before God and kneel and say, my Father, my Father, then I want you to pray the same way. Amen. So, in the Old Testament, God was veiled behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. But there was something that happened when Jesus died on the cross. And that veil, and He rose again on the third day, that veil was ripped in two, and the access to the Father was restored in the way that it was intended from the beginning of creation. And now all of a sudden, we can know God not as a, just a righteous judge, and not just as a creator that started this whole mess, but as our Father that's approachable to us in a way that's, that's reminiscent of a child coming before His Father and asking for mercy or asking for blessing. This was the lens. This was how God wanted us to understand Him. And He sent Jesus. Like Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Jesus was the new revelation, the new lens, the new understanding of God. Now, that's important. I want you to put a pin in that because we're going to circle back to that in just a minute. But I want to I explain something to you that really needs no explanation. I'm going to put words to something that might be stirring in your heart right now. If Jesus came to reveal God as the Father, and if we sing songs about the good, good Father when we come together, there's this unspoken tension in any congregation in America today about what in the world is a good, good Father. In my, in my experience serving in the pastorate, I became keenly aware of the attack on the family that the enemy has waged. It seems like that took up more of my time in ministry than anything else was just, was just contending for the family. Just trying to hold families together. Just trying to augment and strengthen and, and support families. It's like the enemy has put a bullseye on the family and he specifically put a bullseye on dads. And in our culture today, we've watched a shift happen over the last 60 years that, that it's, it's, it's one of those things that we've not put eyes on. We've not really put words to. But when you start to look at what's actually happened, it's staggering the way that we've allowed the enemy to come in and steal from us the lens of the Father. Let me give you just a couple of statistics. I won't bore you with a lot of them, but I could. I've done a lot of study on this. this is, I've, put, I've, I've, I've kind of put my whole ministry in this direction, serving with Compact Family Services, the Assemblies of God's Child Welfare Agency here in Hot Springs, um, has, has, has really opened my eyes 
to the epidemic of fatherlessness in our country. Starting in 1960 with the U.S. Census, we've always tracked this one statistic that is the single parent birth rate in the census every 10 years. We want to know how many of our kids in America are being born into single parent households. And in 1960, that number was 4%. Four out of every 100 kids were born into a single parent household. And as far back as anyone had tracked that number, that's about where it stayed, 3 to 4%. Just kind of did like this. Starting in 1960 and rolling forward to 2010, which is the last completed census that we have. They're working on another one right now in 2020. But in 2010, the last census that came out, that number had gone from 4% to 42%. There was an 800% rise in the single parent birth rate in, in, just, in just those 50 years. First time in the history of America, we started to see subsets of the population that a majority of babies were being born into single-parent households. Like birth mothers under 30, it was like 57%. The African-American population in 2010, it was 73%. So you start looking at these little subsets, and it's, it's staggering the epidemic of fatherlessness that had already taken root by 2010. And in 2020, when this census is completed, we have every reason to believe that for the first time in the history of our, of our country... We will be a fatherless nation. If you're born into a two-parent household, you will be in the minority for the first time in the history of our nation. Yet yeah, that's significant, friends. It's significant. It's, a, it's an epidemic that the church hasn't really put our eyes on, but I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Because you can look around the room and, 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 and tell for yourself there are very few children that have the benefit of being raised in intact families. It's, it's almost unheard of today. And when we start singing about the good, good father, I, one of the things that I do on Father's Day sort of as a pastime is I look at social media and I scroll through the posts. I did it this morning of all the people that are posting about their father. And it's amazing. It's, it's two totally different worlds on Mother's Day and on Father's Day. On Mother's Day, you scroll through the post and you, you read all these superlatives about mom. Oh, she's the greatest thing that ever happened. She's, she's a saint incarnate. She walks on water, you know, whatever. You read that about mom, and you're, oh, you're, your heart is warm. And then you get to Father's Day, and you scroll through it, and it's like, well, Dad, you were an okay dad. You know, I mean, it's like the, the, the words are totally different. If you read between the lines, you see people saying, well, Dad, you sure weren't perfect, but thanks for being there, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a totally different approach to celebrating dads. Why is that? Because, because very few of us have had the privilege of experiencing a dad who was there, a dad who was faithful, a dad who stood on biblical principles, a dad who endured, a dad who affirmed us, a dad who blessed us. Those kind of things. I mean, even saying that this morning, there are probably a few of you that are going, man, is that even possible? Do dads even do that kind of thing? In our culture today, we have become a fatherless nation. Very disturbing. Maybe the most disturbing stat I can give you this morning is that sociologists say that no society on record has ever survived more than two generations once fatherlessness became the norm in that culture. They just implode from the top down. And that we have a lot of examples to pick from. So it's a concern. It's something we need to put both eyes on. It's something as a church that we need to pray about. And it's something as men in the room, I want to challenge you, do your part to push back on. Be there, be the dad, be what you got to be. What you gotta be. And I, I, I hear stories of, of redemption happening in this church left and right, of, of God redeeming and restoring those things that have been broken. And I'm I'm celebrating with you on those things. But here's the thing. The reason I wanted to share all of that is because Jesus came to the earth to reveal God 
through the lens of the Father. So what happens when that lens is distorted? What happens now when you've got an entire culture that's being raised as fatherless and they're being told that God is your Father? Now we don't have a full picture. Now it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around what does that mean? But here's the beauty. The beauty is that Jesus has actually left us a blueprint to understand what the Father is. Not only in His own life and ministry and the way He interacted with the Father, but this morning I want to look specifically at one story that Jesus told that if we look at it closely and unpack it together, you're going to see some things about the Father, the way that Jesus understood the Father, and the way that He knew His Father to be, and the way He wanted us to know His Father to be. And that's out of Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. And the story of the prodigal son, I think all of us are really familiar with the story, but most of the time when we read it, we read it connecting with and identifying with that son. We all get the son. We all understand the son. Right, Brother Tim? I mean, there's been at least once or twice in our lives when we've found ourselves in a pig pen. We get that. And we think, how could that possibly happen? And then, you, oh, you remember a time in your life, you're like, oh, I know exactly how that happened. I, I, I remember well the thought process and the decision tree that led to me in that pig pen. We get that. But what's so astonishing about the story of the prodigal son is not the son's actions, it's the father's actions. And they were, this story was given to us by Jesus so that we would always and forever have a clear picture and understanding of what kind of father Jesus knew his father to be and what he wanted us to understand about the nature of God. So let's do it. Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us, let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now we've got to talk about the older brother too. Now his older, brother, his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he, was received, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, 
You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Oh, man. That story is so rich. It is so rich. But more often than not, when we read it, as I said, we see it through the lens of that son. But I want to look at the father this morning. Because I really believe that Jesus left us a blueprint to understand God. In a, in a, in a self-sacrificing, crazy, compassionate love sort of way, God, Jesus gave us the story of the prodigal son so we can know the father, the father, the good father. So let's just look at it for a second. We'll go, we'll go sort of piece by piece through this. The first thing that I think Jesus wanted us to see about the Father is that He is approachable to us. We have a Father that His, his door is open. His arms are open. And He stands ready to talk to us. There was something about the relationship between the Son and the Father that led the Son to believe that if I come to the Father, He's going to receive me. If I bring my request to Him, He's going to hear me. There was rebellion in the heart of the Son. But He still approached the Father and got an audience with Him. Isn't this crazy? The Father had been such a constant in the life of the Son that there was an expectation with the Son that Dad will listen to me even when I'm wrong. I can come before Him even with rebellion in my heart and selfishness in my heart, and I still know that the Father is going to give me an audience. Why is that? Because He's my Father. Because he's my father. Do you not think that the father had seen the heart of the son growing in this direction? I mean, if you're, if you're a dad worth your salt at all, you're paying attention to your kids. You kind of know what's happening in their lives, right? I mean, my, my, my poor kids, I had my boys young. I was young when, when, when I had my oldest son. I was still a teenager when he was born. And with both of my sons, I, I always said it was because I was so young. They never could really get by with anything. Right, Chance? I just, I'm reading your face, buddy. They never could get by with anything because I was young enough to remember. Like, they'd have this look on their face. I was like, I remember that look. I know exactly what's going on here. And so with, with, with our kids, we look at our kids and we read them. We read their hearts. We're paying attention. We know the gifts that are being developed in them. We know their attitudes that are, they're wrestling with. We know all these things about him. And don't you know that the father, in the story of the prodigal son, he knew that his son's heart was souring towards him. He had to have. And when his son came to him and said, I want all that's mine, I want to go. I want to experience life on your dime. It's amazing to me that, Jesus, that the Father was revealed as that sort of approachable. That you can come to me when you're wrong, you can come to me when you're right, you can come to me when your heart is clean, you can come to me when your heart is dirty, you can come to me when you, you know that you've done wrong and you know that you should be ashamed. The Father's door was open and God, and God has revealed to us through the story of the prodigal son as an approachable God. Right now, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you have a God who stands with arms wide open ready for you to come and approach Him in this way. This was a truth that Jesus came to teach. It was new. In the Old Testament, the idea of God, He was distant and unapproachable. You sent somebody to talk to God on your behalf. You sent a priest in there to deal with your sins. You, dealt, you let Moses go up on the mountain to hear from God, and you come down and you say, what did he say? This was, there was a, a degree of separation. It wasn't that God was approachable. The Ark of the Covenant that, that was so holy and sacred was only to be touched, only to be approached once a year. And only then by a certain kind of priest. And yet, today, anytime, any place, 
we can approach and listen to the Father. And God is revealed to us today as an approachable God. Listen to the difference between these two statements. Man, I really messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Man, I really messed up. i got to call my dad. You hear the difference between those two things? One of them is an Old Testament God, and one of them is a New Testament God. One of them is the revelation of God through the lens of law and, gra- law and justice, and the other one is a revelation of God through the lens of the, of the prodigal's father. Come, talk to me. Let's reason together. Let me see what I can do to help you out of this mess. He's generous towards us. The prodigal's father was generous towards him. In the 12th verse there, in Luke chapter 12, Um, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 12, it says, the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. He did it. He divided his property. The story, the father in this story was shown to be a man who was generous to a fault. Did you have a generous dad? Was your dad generous? Was he good? Like that? See, I, I got a good dad. He's still living. He's, he's, uh, my parents are in their 70s. They live in Oklahoma, and uh, he's doing good. And he was, he was a good dad. He was always there. He and my mom have been married 53 or 4 years, something like that. Um, but we, we always gave my dad a hard time because he was really, really tight, really tight with his money. He was generous, and he was compassionate, he was caring, but, I mean, we're talking, he was tight. We used to joke that his wallet in his back pocket was somehow connected to his shoe because when you try to pull it, his leg would come up like that. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not coming out of his pocket. And he had this way of negotiating. We'd come to him, and we'd be like, Dad, I want to go out with my friends tonight. Can I have 20 bucks? And my dad would be like, 20 bucks? What do you need 10 bucks for? I can't give you five bucks. And by the time, by the time he's done, you're like, what did I ask for? I don't even remember what I asked for. You might get a dollar or two out of him. But this, this story shows our God, our Father, to be so generous. He's generous to a fault. So here's, here's what was really being said here. When the son comes to the father and he says, I want the share of inheritance that belongs to me, you can read this in a couple of ways. One of the things that he was actually saying to his father was, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because your money is more valuable to me than your person, than my relationship with you. I just wish you were dead. Now, for most of us, we would be deeply offended by that. Right? I wish you were dead and I want your money. That's harsh. But this father, he just goes in the other room and begins dividing up his estate. And he gives his son the share that was coming to him anyway. Wow. I always wondered, what is, what is this, how, how does this leave the father? Like, Doesn't that hurt him today? There's a reason why you don't give your inheritance to your kids until you're dead, right? Because you kind of need it right now. You're living on it. You're you're existing every day. That's your sustenance. But he divided half of his inheritance, or the portion that belonged to the younger son anyway. It wouldn't have been half. But he gave it to his boy. He just let him have it. The father didn't seem to be too concerned with the offense that was hidden in the statement. And he didn't seem to be too concerned even with the fact that his son had made this conscious choice to live a lifestyle contrary to the values he'd been given. The father just was dealing from this principle of love, and he was generous to a fault. Jesus wanted us to understand God through the lens 
of generosity. A generous father who cares deeply for his children. Now, you're going to see that the father in this story was not, was not pleased, did not, did not turn a blind eye to the sins of the son, but he was moved with compassion and he grieved for his son. But at the same time, he was generous to a fault for his son. When sin separated us from Father God, he broke off a piece of himself to pay a debt that he didn't owe so that we could come to know him in this generous way. He did it like this. The Bible says that, that God commends his love to us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were in a way that we couldn't even begin to show our worth, that we couldn't even begin to show that we were a worthwhile investment of that kind of love from the Father, He died for us. Christ died for us. And it was a way of showing the extravagant generosity of the Father. Jesus says, I want you to know God the way I know God. He's generous to a fault. And whatever it takes... Whatever it takes to reach you, whatever it takes to meet your needs, He's going to do it. A father that generous can be trusted today. He can be trusted. So here's something else in the the 20th verse. While the son was away messing up his life, what was the father doing? He was waiting on him, thinking about him, wishing for him, praying for him. We know the story of the son because we connect to that story. We get it. And, and the details of what the son were, was doing are recorded for us in Scripture. I mean, he went away and started living it up like he was on some rap music video, right? I mean, he's just, he's just flipping the dollar bills up in the air. And people are coming everywhere to hang out with him and party with him because, man, this dude can throw a rager. Like, he can have a really good time. But the problem, here's the problem with spending other people's money is you eventually run out. And so he was broke. And when that happens, life comes at him fast. And he ends up you know, going from the penthouse to the outhouse, and now he doesn't, he, he doesn't have anything to feed himself with, and he ends up feeding pigs, and, and the Bible says that he, he started wishing that he could eat the food the pigs were eating. We get what was happening with the son, but what we don't see is exactly what was happening every day with the father. The father was back home, and, and there came a moment, I'm sure, where the son was wondering, what's dad thinking right now? Like, I left, I, I, I really tore up the track when I left. I'm not sure this train can make it back. I really messed things up. I told him I wished he was dead. I took his hard-earned, his hard-earned wealth and, and I squandered it. I mean, I blew it on everything. His, his older brother said he blew it on prostitutes, riotous living, partying. He said, these, these were the dollars that my dad worked hard in righteousness to earn, and I blew it. I'm not so sure that I can go back. So what's dad thinking right now? Does he hate me? Does he wish I was dead? What if I, what if I tried to go back? What, would he run me off? Would he have somebody meet me way out there and tell me that dad doesn't want to see me? I mean, what's going to happen? See, here's the thing. In, this, in first century Israel, they didn't have FaceTime, right? You couldn't send a text message. You, you, there's no way really to communicate. You, had no, you have no indication whatsoever what dad's doing. So what was he doing? We're going to find out that he was waiting on the porch and he was longing for his boy. And he was doing his own scheming and dreaming. He was saying to himself, if my son ever comes home, this is what I'm going to do. If my son ever comes home, oh, it's going to feel so good to run and meet him in the road and throw my arms around him. And the thing was, the son didn't know that about the father. He should have. He was raised by that man. He knew the father's heart, but he didn't. And there he waited 
until he just almost was completely destitute, without any food, without any way to sustain himself. And, and here's the thing, Luke chapter 12, verse 20, it says, oh, excuse me, 15, I keep saying 12, Luke chapter 15, verse 20, um, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him sitting there on the front porch, watching in the distance, waiting for the, we don't know how long the boy was gone, but it wasn't a day or two. He was gone long enough to blow through the whole inheritance and to hit rock bottom and to finally come to his senses. For some of us, that takes longer than others, right? To wake up and come to your senses. Some of us are a little more hard-headed than others. It just takes a little while longer. But however long it took, we don't know exactly how long it was. But when he finally came back, the father had not stopped looking down the road and waiting for his boy to come back. And this gives us such a beautiful picture of the mindfulness of God that we are always on his mind. It's not that there comes a moment when God says, well, I waited. He didn't come. He waits patiently and longs for us to return. Sits on the porch and waits. Sits on the porch and waits. Wow. When he started his journey back, he became obsessed with what dad was going to say. And I know this. I, I, I kind of get the prodigal in this way because on his way back, he's rehearsing like every which way from Sunday. Dad might say this, and I'm going to say this. Dad might do this, I'm going to do this. What if I go all the way to my knees and I just beg? What if I say I'm not worthy to be a son anymore? I don't, I don't, I don't even want to carry your last name. Just let me have a job. Let me have a job working in the fields. Let me have a job cleaning your house. I'll scrub the baseboards, Father. Just give me a job. And so this is the, sort of the negotiation phase on the way home that the son is trying to picture what's dad going to say? What will he do? What will he say? And when he started his journey back, he, he really began to wrestle with that. But he soon found out that dad was constantly keeping an eye out for his return. Every single moment the son was gone, the father was mindful of the boy. You have a father in heaven. Jesus wanted you to see the father through this lens. You have a father in heaven who is mindful of you. He sees you. He's looking down the road for you to make that step back. There's not a distance that can erase you from the Father's mind. There's not a time that can pass that eventually the Father forgets what your voice sounds like or forget how much He loves you. No failure, no mistake, not even blatant rebellion, not even looking up at the sky and saying, I wish you didn't exist. Not even that can separate us. In fact, Romans 8, 38 and 39, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, not height, not depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do can separate us from the love of God. I, I, love, the, I love the little meme that's been circulating on social media that says, when God called you, he already factored in your stupidity. Right? Right? When God called me, he already factored it in. He thought about it. So I can't say, well, Lord, I, you probably shouldn't have called me. I was dumb. He'd be like, I know. I made you that way. You know? <laughs> Work with me here. Work with me. I'll fill in those gaps. If you've been gone one minute or your entire lifetime, if you're asking yourself if God ever thinks about you, you need to know something. He's never stopped. He's never stopped. He's mindful of you today. He knows that you don't belong in that pig pen. He knows that you belong at his table. 
He knows that you don't belong in that servant's uniform, that you belong in a son's outfit, sitting at the table, wearing the robe of the father. Those pig-slopping clothes just don't suit you. He pictures you wearing his ring. In the 20th verse, that same verse we were looking at, the Bible also describes the father as having compassion. It says when he saw his son, when he was mindful of his son and he saw him coming down the road, he also felt this stirring in his chest of compassion. This desire to come and run and throw his arms around his son. The father was moved when he saw his boy. I kind of bet... I kind of bet that that boy didn't look the same that he did when he left. Because you know that sin will take its toll on your physical appearance, right? I bet he was kind of emaciated. I bet his face was sunken in. I bet he kind of walked with a limp. And I bet the one thing was his shoulders were slumped and he had the look of shame on him as he walked down the road. When the boy left, he left all cocky and and wearing the father's last name and, 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 and feeling like he could take on the world. But when he came back, he had nothing but shame and regret. And it's so, it's so evident when you see somebody walking in that kind of shame. And the father saw him and felt compassion. I bet, I bet his eyes missed it up. And he began to tear up and said, My, that's, not, that's not the son that left here. That's not who he was created to be. He deserves better. He needs to be walking in better. And he began to, he began to feel this compassion that drove him to run Father looked at him and felt deeply for him. When we feel far from God, this may actually be the most important moment for us to ask the question, what do you see when you think of God? When you feel far from God, that's the moment that you need to ask yourself, what kind of God do I picture? When we're, when we're enjoying moments of revival and when we're dancing around the altars, we see a God who loves us and embraces us, but what about those moments when you've really messed up? What about those moments when you've relapsed and fallen back into sin? What about those moments when you're way far from God and then you think about God and you say, ah, He wouldn't take me back. He loved me then, but He couldn't love me now. He loved me then in that moment when I repented, but I, I, I've gone too far in this moment. But what you don't understand about God is that compassion has never failed. He still feels that same compassion. When He, when he looks at you, He sees the life that he, that he sent His Son Jesus to die for you to have. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you can live the full life, the good life, the abundant life, the rich life. That's the life I've come for you to live. <clears throat> I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for that life. Hey, did I hear this right? Did I hear this right? Uh, Stacy, are you celebrating something special right now? Yeah. Are you celebrating one year clean right now today? <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Man, we're so proud for you. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's the full life that, that Christ died for you to live. Amen. You're living it, man. And it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better from this moment forward. Praise the Lord. He's, the Father is so compassionate towards us. And He's so affectionate with us. In that same verse, verse 20, Jesus said, here's, here's, here's a picture that will blow your mind to the Pharisees. The Father girded up his robe and took off running down the road to embrace his son and throw his arms around him and kiss him. Openly showing affection. 
In other words, he was, he was willing to put aside his reputation in the community and he wanted, to, he wanted to, to, to make no mistake that he deeply loved his son. And this affection, this public display of affection left no doubt with all who saw it how the father felt about his wayward son. Amen. Because the son was not the only one that was wondering how the father was going to respond. I bet there were a lot of people in the community that wanted to see that too. How's the father going to respond when the, when the son who disrespected him so much comes home? What's he going to do? A lot of people would have, would have high-fived the dad if he'd have ran him off his porch. A lot of people would have said, well, that's probably the right thing to do. That boy can't talk to you that way. And they were all watching. And when the father ran to the son and embraced him, it was an exclamation point at the end of that story. He said, we're going to throw a party. My son that was dead is alive. He was lost and he's now found. And I want everybody to know that this is the most important thing to me right now, that my boy has come home. I'm grateful. The Old Testament prophet Zephaniah, he wrote the word of the Lord in 317. He said, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with his singing. Amen. So this is a picture of God that I think a lot of times we miss. That God would sing over us with joy. That he would rejoice over us. That he would celebrate with the lost that come home. You have a father who's affectionate towards you. I don't know what your earthly father was like. My guess is a lot of us had earthly fathers that struggled with that affection thing. But I want you to know you've got a heavenly father that can, that can show you what affection is, man. He wants to embrace you, and put his arms around you, and kiss you, and celebrate with you. He is madly and passionately in love with you today. Something else. Something else. I'm, I'm, I'm close. I'm getting close. But the story's just so rich with things about the father that I don't want us to miss. The father always has a better plan. He's always got a better plan. The father said to his slaves in verses 22 and 23, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. So the father said, we're going to throw a party, but that was in response to the son's plan if I'm going to earn my way back into the father's household. On the way home, the son had come up with this great idea that I'm going to earn it, I'm going to work hard, and, and my dad is going to appreciate how hard that I work. This was his plan. This, this was a fail-safe plan. I know my dad appreciates a work ethic. So I'm going to work hard and my dad's going to love me. But when he got there and he tried to relay that story, all he got out was, I really sinned, dad. I really messed up and I'm not worthy. And his dad cut him off right there. And he said, I got a better plan. I got a better plan. You're not going to be able to earn your way back into my good graces. But what I can do is I can bring you an unmerited robe. I can bring you my signet ring that allows you the privilege of buying and selling in my name. I can put sandals on your feet. And before it's all said and done here today, we're going to kill the fatted calf. And we're going to throw a party to celebrate with the entire community because you're home. It's a way better plan than what you came up with. It's a way better plan than the stuff that you had going in the back of your mind. You can't earn it, friends. You can't earn it. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. We've got a God who will blow your mind if you'll take your plan and submit it to Him. If you'll take your idea and lay it down at His feet. And let him replace it with his plan. His, he's always got a better idea. The father wanted the son to know, you're not earning your way back into this household, son. You couldn't even begin to try. 
That, that boy, that, that young kid that, that thought he knew it all, are you kidding me? He, he, there's no way he's going to earn his way back into the Father's household. The only way he's getting in is through the grace of the Father. And right now today, no matter where you're at, no matter how far you've run, no matter what you've done, the only way you're getting back into the Father's good graces is if he's gracious towards you. And guess what? He's never stopped thinking about you. He's never stopped daydreaming about the moment when you return home. He's never stopped thinking about how He wants to show you compassion. He wants to run and show you affection and throw His arms around you. Decoding this morning the good, good Father, you need to know He's better and greater than anything you've ever imagined. You might not have had a great example of a dad. You might not have ever seen one anywhere. But Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't ever want you to forget it. This is the heart of a father. He's approachable. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's got a plan for your life. He's affectionate towards you. He'll take you back when you come. He's mindful of you. He thinks of you all the time. And He's got the resources to meet your needs. And finally, in the end of the story, there's a little bit of a twist. The story was about the life and mistakes and failures of the younger son. But as they're celebrating his return, the older son comes up on the scene. Here's the dancing. Here's the music. And he stays outside angry. And this is what I love. The father sees that the older son is missing from the party. And he comes out on the porch to meet him where he was. It's it's such a beautiful part of the story because both of these sons were sort of messed up. Both of them got twisted. Both of them had some problems. But they weren't the same problems. One was young and rebellious and cocky and the older one was Dudley Do-Right that never did anything wrong. And he says, I've been here this whole time, Father. Why, why are you throwing a party for him? Don't you know he spent your money on prostitutes? Prostitutes! And the father said, yeah, but he was dead and now he's alive. And so the father came out to help the son to understand. But what I want you to get from that is that, is that no matter what your story, the father knows how to meet you individually right where you are. He knows how to come. He'll come out on the porch if he needs to. He'll come find you where, you where you are. He'll meet you in that moment. See, none of, us, none of us have the exact same testimony. None of us have the same exact sins that we struggle with or, 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 or weaknesses in our faith. It's all, we're all different and unique, but our Father knows each child individually. And He knows where to find us and where to meet us. So this morning, you need to know that God is a, is, is a good Father. Father that loves you and is compassionate towards you and gracious towards you. And so this morning, my challenge for you today is, obviously, if you're far from God, you need to know He's waiting with arms wide open. But my challenge for you today on this Father's Day is I want you to go out of here today just thanking God for the, for, for the good Father that He is. He loves you. He cares so deeply for you. I want to pray for you this morning. Why don't you stand with me today?